Hi, this is the K. Ray Reads to You podcast, and I am K. Ray, and today we have part two of chapter two of The Talking Parcel by Gerald Durrell. The tunnel was narrow, so that they had to go in single file. Peter went first with the flashlight, carrying Parrot's gauge. Next came Penelope, with Parrot perched on her shoulder, carrying the food supplies, the first aid kit, and the weapons. Simon brought up the rear, carrying the dinghy. "'Go a bit cautiously,' whispered Parrot hoarsely. "'I don't think it's very likely, because they're such slovenly creatures, "'but it is just possible that they may have put a sentry on duty here "'to make sure I don't get back.' They rounded a corner in the passage, and Peter stopped so suddenly that Penelope bumped into him, and Simon bumped into Penelope. "'What's the matter?' asked Penelope. "'Shh!' whispered Peter. "'There's a light up ahead.' "'Let me have a look,' said Parrot, hopping off Penelope's shoulder and on to Peter's. They stood silent, holding their breath, while Parrot peered ahead. "'No, that's all right. It's not a light. It's the entrance,' he said at last. "'That's the dawn you can see.' "'Dawn?' said Peter. "'Are you sure, Parrot? It's far too late for dawn.' "'Not in Mythologia,' said Parrot. "'It's dawn all day long, except when it's night.' "'What on earth do you mean, it's dawn all day?' asked Penelope. "'Well,' explained Parrot, "'when H. H. was studying to be a magician, he used to have to get up at dawn, and he very soon found that it was the loveliest time of the day.' "'all fresh and calm, and the colours and everything so bright after a good night's sleep. "'So when he was inventing Mythologia, he decided it would be dawn all day, "'except for eight hours of night. You'll see what I mean in a minute.' "'Eventually they stepped out at the end of the tunnel, "'and stood blinking at the scene that lay before them. "'The sky, or what appeared to be the sky, above them, "'was a delicate shade of jade green, fading into pale powder blue in places.' Floating in it were armadas of tiny, fat, comfortable-looking clouds, in primrose yellow, pale pink, and white. The sun, or what appeared to be the sun, was just above the horizon, stationary, casting a lovely, delicate web of golden light over everything. Nearby, a tiny stream, the color of pale sherry, fell in a series of delicate waterfalls over terracotta red rocks and at the base of each waterfall was a deep, calm pool, full of lazily moving blue fish, with scarlet fins and tails. The grass that the children stood on was deep purple, like heather, and very soft and springy to walk on. It looked as if it had been newly mown. It was studded with innumerable multicolored flowers, whose petals looked as though they were made out of glass, and interspersed among them were groups of bright lemon-yellow mushrooms, decorated with black spots." Farther down the valley stretched a forest of trees with big blue leaves and chocolate-coloured trunks, trunks that looked very knobbly and lumpy from a distance. Far, far on the horizon, almost hidden by morning mists, the children could see what they took to be the great inland sea which Parrot had described, gleaming and glittering like champagne in the dawn light. "'Why, it's beautiful!' exclaimed Penelope, drawing a deep breath. "'I'd never imagined it would be anything like this.' "'Look at the colours,' said Simon. "'Aren't they fabulous?' "'And the sky,' said Peter. "'Those clouds look as though they'd been arranged.' "'They are,' said Parrot, "'and rearranged five times a day, so that we don't get bored. 
we also have four different sunsets, one, as it were, at each corner, so that those who like their sunsets red can watch one side, while those who like theirs orange or yellow or green can watch the other sides. <sighs> it's very convenient. I think it's beautiful, said Penelope. No wonder you're proud of it. Well, well, said Parrot, embarrassed. I've lived here a long time, you know. One grows fond of a place. That's why I don't want to see those darned cockatrices take over. Quite right, said Peter, and the sooner we get cracking on that, the better. What do we do now, Parrot? Well, Parrot said judiciously, if we follow this stream down, it joins the main river, and there we can launch the boat. Then, if my memory serves me right, and I could kick myself for not having brought a map, we travel down the main river, through Phoenix Valley, until we reach the Mooncalf Hills and Unicorn Meadows. There we're just below the Crystal Caves, and it's only a fairly short walk. However, I must warn you, there are two rather nasty rapids in Phoenix Valley, and I don't see how we can avoid them. I do hope you know how to handle that dinghy of yours. We'll be all right, said Peter airily. Let's hope we'll be all right, said Simon. With both of us paddling, we should be able to manage to get through. Well, off we go, said Parrot. Let's keep to the trees as much as possible, just in case there are any cockatrices about. And remember, they can shoot out flames to a distance of about eight feet. Eight feet, exclaimed Peter. Good heavens, that's like a flamethrower. Exactly, said Parrot. In the old days, of course, they used to be able to kill with their glance, too. But H. H. put a stop to that when he created Mythologia, because, really, enough is enough, as H. H. said. It was bad enough when they went around burning up everything they came in contact with by careless breathing, without killing everything they glanced at as well. I don't know why you allowed them to come to Mythologia, said Penelope. What do you want with a lot of horrible creatures like that? Ah, no, you can't pick and choose, said Parrot. Mythologia was created for mythical animals. <sighs> and we couldn't show any favoritism. All we could do was to control their numbers, of course, which helped, and keep them in places where they did as little harm as possible. It's just unfortunate that the cockatrices have got a bit above themselves. Anyway, with your help, I'm hoping we will put a stop to that. As they talked, they'd been walking down the valley, following the little waterfalls and the tiny stream, and now they reached the first scattering of trees at the edge of the wood. The children looked at them in amazement. Ah, said Parrot. Surprised, eh? Thought you might be. They're cork trees. Now, in the outside world, the whole business of obtaining cork is very prehistoric, if I may be allowed to criticize. First of all, you have to peel the bark off the tree, and then you have to cut it into corks. Oh, it's a very laborious process. So when we came here, H. H. decided he'd create cork trees that saved a certain amount of time and energy. Here, as you can see, the corks grow directly on the bark of the trees, and in different sizes. Looking around them, the children could see that Parrot was perfectly correct. On the trunk and on the branches of each tree grew corks in numerous shapes and sizes. There were tiny corks, such as one would use for very small medicine bottles. There were champagne corks, wine bottle corks, and great big flat fat corks, such as you'd use for corking up jars of preserved fruit or jam, or perhaps honey. "'Saves a lot of time, I can tell you,' said Parrot. 
"'As soon as you've made your jam, or whatever it happens to be, "'you just come out into one of these cork-tree forests "'and cut yourself off enough corks of the right shape and size. "'They grow again almost immediately, too, so you have an endless crop. "'It's rather like the grass, which grows again as soon as it's eaten "'by the unicorns or moon-calves, and it never grows any longer than it is. "'Anyway, a nice, comfortable length, "'not long enough to get all damp and catch around your ankles.' "'And the flowers, too. They're one of H. H.'s inventions. "'A very inventive magician he is, I can tell you. "'Here, you just pluck some, and you'll see what I mean.' "'Penelope bent down and gathered a small bunch of the beautiful multicolored flowers. "'Smell them,' said Parrot. "'Penelope put them up to her nose, and thought that she'd never, ever in her life "'smelt a smell so sweet and delicious as the scent of these little flowers.' "'Everlasting,' said Parrot. "'Stick em on your dressing-table, and they'd be there forever, "'and they'll smell forever, too. "'But if you get bored with them, just throw them away. "'Go on, just throw them down anywhere.' "'Penelope threw the flowers onto the purple grass, "'and immediately each one stood upright, "'grew little thread-like roots which delved down into the earth, "'and there, lo and behold, where there'd been scattered, "'where there'd been a scattered bunch of flowers, "'was a little growing patch of them.' "'Waste not, want not,' said Parrot, winking one eye. "'It's the same with the trees. "'If you want to light a fire, "'you just cut off a couple of branches of any tree that happens to be handy, "'and the branch grows again almost immediately. "'It saves the tree having that awful amputated look "'that trees have in the outside world. "'That's why everything looks so new and fresh.' "'Presently the stream they were following "'led them through the cork forest "'and out onto the banks of the main river.' The river was quite broad and slow-moving, and its golden waters were so transparent that, standing on the bank and looking down, the children could see porcelain, white, and green crabs walking about on the bottom, together with scarlet, black, and yellow-striped water-beetles swimming to and fro, all busy about their business. "'Is this where we set out?' asked Peter. "'Yes,' said Parrot. "'It's about three miles from here to Phoenix Valley, "'and then about another five miles before we reach the Mooncalf Hills.' "'Simon put down the dinghy and spread it out, "'and he and Peter and Penelope took turns pumping it up. "'At length it was ready, and they launched it into the golden waters, "'put Parrot's cage and all their supplies into it, "'and then scrambled on board and pushed off.' Of all the scenes that Penelope later was to remember of Mythologia, probably the one that lived most vividly in her memory was that first trip down the river toward Phoenix Valley. The banks with their purple grass bestrewn with multicolored blossoms, the strange misshapen cork trees, their upper branches trailing long wisps of gray-green luminous moss and great fronds of what appeared to be coral pink and green orchids, the soft sound of the water, and the long trailing fronds of yellow water-weed, and the crabs, and the busy beetles she could see beneath the boat. It was a magical experience. Presently, however, the cork-tree forest thinned and finally disappeared, and they entered a new type of country that was barren, with the terracotta red rocks that the children had noticed before, and in the cracks and crevices of the rocks strange cacti of weird shapes and colors. "'Not far now,' said Parrot, "'and we come to Phoenix Valley. "'I wish we had some sort of covering.' "'Covering?' said Penelope. "'What do you mean, covering? "'What would we need covering for?' "'Well, the phoenixes themselves are harmless enough,' said Parrot. "'But it's all those ashes flying about.' "'Ashes?' said Peter. 
"'Don't tell me there's something else that makes fire, like the cockatrices.' "'No, no, no,' said Parrot. "'No, nothing like that. "'No, it's the phoenixes, poor dears. "'As you know, the phoenix lives for about five hundred years. "'Then it goes and sits on its nest, "'which immediately bursts into flame and burns it up, "'and out of the ashes a new phoenix is created.' As they're sensible enough to control their numbers in this way, H. H. thought the simplest thing to do, to avoid forest fires, would be to give them a breeding valley of their own, and this is the valley we'll have to go through. It's quite a colorful spectacle, really, but, as I said, there's a lot of ash and cinders flying about. We'll have to look a bit sharp. As the river wound its way onward, and Peter and Simon paddled the dinghy at a slow but steady pace, the rocky banks grew steadily higher and higher, and the stream grew swifter and swifter. So suddenly that they were scarcely prepared for it, the river grew narrower and faster and faster. "'Rapids ahead!' shouted Parrot. Sure enough, red rocks stuck up like fangs, and the golden waters gushed and frothed and bubbled around them. Peter and Simon were hard-pressed to manoeuvre the dinghy through without getting it punctured, but they managed it and soon came into a calm stretch of river again, which had widened out between the tall cliffs. "'Whew!' said Peter, wiping his forehead. "'I didn't think we were going to make that.' "'Thank goodness it's over,' said Simon. "'Over?' said Parrot. "'That's just the first set of rapids. There's another set farther down, once we get through the valley.' Now the dinghy rounded a corner and swept into Phoenix Valley, and the sight that met their eyes was so incredible that Simon and Peter stopped paddling, and sat there with their mouths open, as did Penelope, watching the strange scene that greeted their eyes on both sides of the river. On either bank, dotted about through the valley, sat the phoenixes, like huge multicolored glittering eagles, with their wings spread out, as cormorants do when they sit on the rocks to dry. Around the base of each bird there flickered and winked the fire of its nest— as they watched, one of these nests erupted like a volcano. Great streamers of orange, red, blue, and yellow flames enveloped the bird that sat there, burning it, and turning it immediately into ash. So it sat there, like a great model of its former self, made out of grey and white ash. The fire died down, and then gradually the phoenix started to crumble, first a few feathers from its wing, then the whole ash bird, with a sound like a great soft sigh, crumbled, and fell into the fiery nest. After a moment's pause, the flames started licking up again, and in their depths, 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 and in their depths, the children could see struggling a small, multicolored phoenix baby, thrashing its wings and wiggling to and fro. Eventually it fought its way free of the flames, and zoomed up into the air, to fly over the valley like a swallow, together with all the hundreds of other phoenixes. But— as Parrot had said, there was a certain amount of danger, for as the phoenix turned to ash, crumbled and fell into its nest, sparks and burning ashes flew in all directions, and fell hissing into the river around them. "'Why, it's beautiful, Parrot!' cried Penelope. "'I've never seen anything like it,' said Peter. "'You mean to say that each time one of these big ones turns to ash and falls into the nest, it creates another one?' "'Well, it's really the same bird,' said Parrot. "'It's what they call a metamorphosis. "'That's why H. H. gave them this valley. "'They do no harm at all in mythologia. "'They feed mainly on nectar, and they're very decorative.' 
Even though they kept the dinghy in the middle of the stream, they could still feel the heat of the burning phoenix nests on either bank. It took them perhaps half an hour to work their way through the nesting sites, and then gradually the river started to narrow again. "'Now,' said Parrot worriedly, "'this is the difficult part. We've got one set of rapids before we reach calm water. If we can get through this, we're, we're all right.' As he was talking, the dinghy had started to drift closer and closer toward the shore, unnoticed by either Peter or Simon. Just on the edge of the bank it was an enormous phoenix nest. The bird sitting in it had its wings outspread, already turned to ash by the flames. Suddenly the dinghy bumped against the bank just below the nest. "'Hi!' shouted Peter. "'Look out!' "'Push off! Push off quick!' said Simon, looking at the great ash bird towering above them. But they were too late. Just at that moment the great ash phoenix started to crumble. With a tremendous whoosh it fell into its nest, and the dinghy and its occupants were enveloped in burning ash and multicolored sparks. "'Paddle out into midstream! Paddle out into midstream!' cried Simon. "'Quick, quick!' Rapidly he and Peter paddled the dinghy out into midstream, but it was full of burning ash. Suddenly there was a sharp plop and a hissing noise, and they could feel the dinghy shrinking under them. "'Look out!' shouted Peter. "'Look out!' The current caught the rapidly deflating dinghy, and whirled it away down river, and then suddenly there was no dinghy under them any more. Penelope fell into the water, and it closed over her head, and she was whirled away, over and over, into the darkness and roar of the second set of rapids. And that's the end of chapter two. Today happens to be January 18th, 2011, in case you're wondering. And I'm Kay Ray, and you can visit my blog at www.kray.org if you want to. And I'll see you next time for Chapter 3.